Politics Considered, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. On today's show, I offer a perspective from Palestine. I am thrilled to have as a special guest today, Mr. Muhammad Othman, joining us from Jeyus, Palestine. Jeyus is in the West Bank, which is west of the Jordan River, with Jordan to the west and Israel to the east. It is about 30 kilometers or 20 miles from Tel Aviv. Mr. Altman is the executive director of Skate Kelia. He has been featured in international media, including CNN, NBC, Haaretz, and the Huffington Post for his work. Welcome to the program, Mr. Altman. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know it's late where you are, so I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for inviting me and uh, having me in your program. And I appreciate you being here because I know you're very busy. First, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Muhammad Othman. I uh, I born and I grew up in the village of Jeyus. I finished my high school in school in my village. In the in the in the school and uh, in the class of English, like when uh, we have we have we take English classes in the school. I never like English, but <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's uh, a it, tough language. Yeah, it's uh, like. After the whole thing happened in Palestine and the starting of building the wall, there was like lots of international volunteers. And before that, I used to work in Israel. And also I speak Hebrew perfect, like the same as English. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So I speak at that time in 2001, we were having some Israeli activists coming and I was translating from Hebrew to Arabic and helping them to communicate with the people in my village. I finished my high school. I'm like everyone in my village. I got to involve in the nonviolence resistance in, in Jeyus because Jeyus is one of the first villages that they start making demonstration against the apartheid wall. And also like there was like an, an organization, a non-profit organization called ISM, International Solidarity Movement, uh, were all over Palestine. So I joined the International Solidarity Movement, and in 2002, I moved from Jeyus to Ramallah, and I lived in Ramallah from 2002 till 2020. Can you just tell us, just so our listeners have a little bit of geography here, where is Jeyus, where is Ramallah in relation? Jeyus, is as, as you describe it, Jeyus is in the northern part of the West Bank, uh, next to the Green Line. 20 miles far away from Tel Aviv. Ramallah is close to Jerusalem, like 20 minutes driving in the car, which is like the central of the West Bank, which is the main city and one of the biggest city. And also the city of Ramallah, where all the NGOs, where all the politicians, the embassy, the representative offices and the NGOs, it's like the base of all the business and everything in Palestine. Okay, so yeah. you mentioned the green line. I imagine that, that is where the checkpoints are and to cross over. Can you just explain the green line a little bit? It used to be it used to be like in the past where uh, where they built like checkpoint terminals where the where 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 the people can go in and out of Israel at the borders of 1967. And when we talk about the green line, the green line is the border that the United Nations in 1967 they decided that uh, will be the borders of Israel. But after 1967 
1967, when the Israeli government decided to start building settlements in the West Bank, they have been not accepting the idea of the Green Line. So they just go over it and they uh, go inside the West Bank. And in 2001, September 2001, the Israeli government decided to build uh, a wall between the Palestinian and the Israelis. And this wall is about 960 kilometers from the northern part of the West Bank till Jerusalem. Does that wall on your side of the Green Line? That wall is is on our side. It's going deep in some areas, about 20 miles, in some areas 35 miles, in some areas 50 miles. So the whole idea behind building the wall, according to the Israeli security, is for security. But in fact, it's not for security because it takes all the Palestinian land. And when they build the wall, they brought under the foot of the wall more than one and a half million olive trees. And the olive trees, it means a lot for the Palestinian because this is one of our main income. Like season, the season of olive harvest is like the main season for the Palestinian. We go pick our olives. So they isolate our land in the other side of the wall and they built for us a special gate where we can go three times a day in the morning, in the midday, and in the evening. And we have to apply for a permit, a special permit from the army, from the security. So whoever being arrested or being in the prison or have a security problem with the Israeli security, he will never get a permit to go and visit his land. What I'm hearing you say is that you have to go through some sort of checkpoint to access your own land. And there's a lot of farmers in your area. So in order to do their work, they have to go through this wall. And that's not even to go into Israel to the Green Line. It's just to access the land. And there's only certain times a day. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it's uh, we, we, we need we need to apply for a special permit to go to our land. This permit is, doesn't allow us to go to Israel. This permit just allow us to go to our land. When did that start? What year did that begin? I mean, you In mentioned 2000, September 2002. Okay. So, yeah, so since then, I've become like an activist and I've been uh, touring the world and I've been talking about Palestine uh, and uh, big conferences in the United Nations. I've been like uh, part of the World Social Forum. I've been traveling and talking about the struggle for Palestinian like almost in every university around the world. In 2009, I got arrested by the Israeli security while I was coming uh, from Norway. I was in a speaking tour in the Scandinavian country, and I spent one year on the Israeli prison under the a law called administrative detention, that they can keep you in the prison between one year to seven years without a case, without being something against you. Wow, let me just, I didn't know this. Let me just, so you were in Scandinavia, were, were you arrested when you arrived back, what, in the Amman airport in Jordan or where? Uh, I was I was ar- arrested by the Jordanian security and then the Jordanian security handed me to the Israeli security and the Israeli security, they took me into the prison and I spent it almost one year under administrative detention and I've been in isolation all the time. I have never been like with other prisoners. I'm I'm surprised to hear, I guess I didn't know, I'm learning a lot. I didn't, from you, I didn't know that Jordan cooperated with Israel in this way. No, there is a peace agreement between Jordan and Israel 
And if the Israeli will ask the Jordanian to hand them someone who's like the Israeli want them, the, the handed, uh, and there are security coordination between Jordan and Israel. Okay, so two separate points here or questions. Why do you, what were you charged with, according to them, and why do you think that they charged you? First, they, they charged me dangerous for the, na- the people of Israel. And uh, I should be in the prison and not be talking about Palestine and not attending any conferences or like any meeting and not going to universities and talk about the struggle of the Palestinian. And the main goal, because also because of the BDS, boycott, divestment and sanction, because I was leading a big campaign all over the world against Israel, which is BDS. It's called BDS, boycott, divestment and sanction. And this campaign were very successful around the world. So Israel lost millions and millions and millions of dollars. And there were some countries like Scandinavian country and some European country. They start boycotting their Israeli products and they start boycotting some of the Israeli goods and uh, fruits and uh, flowers and avocado and all kinds of fruit and vegetables. And some of the company, the high-tech company in Scandinavia also, they boycott Israel and divest Israel. So Israel lost a lot of money from that. So the Israeli were like trying to kill the BDS movement by arresting one of the key people for for the BDS movement, but it was the opposite, to be honest, because there was a huge campaign, which is like you can find it online, release Muhammad Uthman, and the whole thing happened during the Obama's administration, and uh, the activist and uh, the American embassy wrote a letter for, uh, for the Obama's administration at that time. Obama himself called the prime minister at that time, who was, his name was Ehud uh, Olmert, and asked him to release me. And the American embassy has visited me three times while I was wow. in the prison to check on me. Because wow. there was a campaign, it's called Human Rights Defender Campaign. So the President Obama called the prime minister, Olmert, to have you released specifically? Yes. And you can find this online. Yeah, like if, well, I, if I you believe you. <laughs> if you uh, vote like Muhammad Uthman, you'll find like the documents and everything. There was like Jewish for Peace who were pushing for that. There was at least half a million letter the Obama the Obama's administration, and I met people who were writing letter to Obama's administration at that time who never met with me. So I met them after I get out of the prison by chance. I was once in, in a restaurant in Ramallah and there was a couple, they came to me and they were like, uh, you are Muhammad Uthman? And I was like, yes. And, with the, and we were like in 2020 and they were, we wrote a couple of letters for the Obama's administration. We are so happy to see you that you are out of the prison. So it was very helpful. And there was demonstration in front of the Israeli embassy in, uh, in Norway, in Sweden, in Denmark, in uh, Italy, in France to release me. And after that, it becomes like a huge thing, which is called a human rights defender campaign. So whoever an activist or involved in politics in, uh, in the nonviolent resistance, if he will be arrested by the Israeli army or the Israeli security, there will be a campaign for him. So how quickly after President Obama's intervention were you released? I was like for about like two and a half months. Oh, okay. So it still took a little while. But do you it think took a little that, while. Do you think that his intervention was instrumental? 
Yeah, it was like because the embassy was like not leaving me alone. And every time I go to the court, the Israeli military court, uh, the, the embassies are there, the British embassies there, the American embassies there. And there was like they were hiring three lawyers, international lawyers for me. And they were paying for the lawyers and the lawyers were uh, coming and checking on me. They, almost every day I was there was visiting there. There was like uh, embassies are visiting me in my cell and they check on me which is doesn't help they it's good it's nice to see people when you are in the prison but the condition of the being in the prison is still the same it's still bad like you know when you are in an isolation when you are by yourself 24 7 and you're in the jail and you don't know what's the charge and what you, you don't know what's the reason and they asking me questions at that time about 2002 like uh and why I'm traveling and why I'm talking and and I was like everything is online I'm not afraid and you can find everything most of uh, my presentation are online so they were trying like to do something like to kill the roots of the activism and the activist and the, the human rights the, the human rights activists it sounds like social media was on your side and I imagine if this happened before social media things would have been a lot more detrimental to you right yes the social media was like like so so great and uh, Facebook and Twitter and everything was so great because it reached millions and millions and millions of people like like in South Africa I've been in South Africa at the World Social Forum a couple of times like I know lots of people from South Africa they were marching like uh, hundreds and hundreds of people and they brand t-shirts with my photo and uh, posters and like just free Mohammed Othman and the same is in Denmark in Sweden and Norway I'm just curious, when they detained you at the airport and you arrived at the jail, do you get a phone call? I mean, how do people how do people find out about it initially? Uh, it was funny because when the Jordanian um, <clears throat> when the Jordanian handed me to the Israeli, the Israelis still respect part of the law. While I'm crossing the border, I have to cross it for free until I get like my passport stamped by the Israeli security. They cannot put handcuffs on me while I'm crossing the border. So I saw someone from my village and I told him, tell my family <laughs> that I get arrested. In the and airport. Before, <laughs> and before they arrest me, I asked the security that if I can use the toilet at that time. So I went to the toilet and I text a message to a friend of mine from Norway and I told him, it happened, they arrest me. When I say that, like it was like bad news, spread like flying so there was like everybody knows and about it but i spent it like about a month that i in the investigation i have no idea where i was no lawyers uh, can come to me uh, the only thing that my family knows that i'm arrested but i don't know where i am if i was in the united states if i was in israel if i was like in a man like i don't know where i was i was in a place which is under the ground uh, they were investigating me for eight seven six hours every day and i don't know if it was like a day or a night or um, i have no idea what's the time i have no idea what's going on outside is I was just in a cell in a room and just questioning me. Well, you've been through a lot. I mean, you're a resilient person, I can tell. We're going to talk a little bit more about this conflict, but I really want to get into the area 
about the reason why you've made international news, the positive things you're doing. Uh, I want you to talk about Skate Kilia. And I don't know if I pronounced that right. Skate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After I get out of the prison and I spend it like uh, one year in solitary isolation, you have a lot of time to think about so many things, to think about life, to think about what are you doing, to think about the conflict, to think about family, to think about everything. Uh, you are in a cell, like that. there is nothing to do. There is no book to read. There is nothing, nothing, just me and me. I got to the point that, and I promised myself that if I will be ever released, I will leave everything related to NGOs, related to politician, related to politics. And I want to focus and put all my energy into the new young generation. I don't want them to go through the suffering and the same thing that happened to me. I don't want them to be, to get arrested. I don't want them to have a psychological problems if they will go into a cell and spend 24-7 alone by themselves talking to the walls. So when I was released in 2010, uh, there was like lots of focus from the media on me. And also when the Israeli released me, they bought a lot of condition. I was in a house arrest. I was not allowed to leave the country. I get out of the prison psychologically not well, physically not well. Uh, my mind is is not functioning good. It's I get I, I really not was not feeling well at all. After I get out of the prison, I spend one and a half year awake uh, during the night. Yeah, PTSD. Did did you? Was there any treatment or help for that? Were you? I tried, but there was like nothing really perfect or good. Like uh, I went to once to a psychologist. And uh, I told him my story and he was like, well, 75% of the population in Palestine being in the prison. <laughs> so you should oh, deal with it. So not much sympathy. Yeah. yeah. So I decided uh, at that time that I want to fix everything for me in Ramallah to leave my apartment there and uh, to fear, to cut myself from the organization that I, work in, I used to work for, which is called Stop the Wall Campaign and uh, cut myself from everything just to fix my problem. I want to get rid of the house arrest because I was only allowed to be in Ramallah. So I went again to the Israeli high court. I hired a lawyer and I, they succeed after like a couple of months to remove the house arrest from me. And then I went to another lawyer and I asked him to remove traveling, uh, that I'm allowed to travel and to go in and out of the country. And at that time, like the lawyer asked for lots of money, about $25,000. He's an Israeli lawyer. I don't have that money at that time. So I got in touch with the Norwegian government. I asked the Norwegian government if they are willing to help me in paying that amount of money. And they were very kind. So they paid for me. And after like it took a couple of months till uh, the lawyer removed passing problems for me. And uh, then after that, uh, they invite me to Norway. And I went to Norway again and I did my tour. And I talked about my experience there. In 2018, I decided to come up with an idea with, to work with kids. So I was walking in the street in, of, of this city next to us it's called Kalkilia and I saw like a couple of kids skating and, and I don't know that was called skating I saw them in a piece of wood and they are running 
like very, very, very smart boys. And I stopped them and I asked them if I can talk with them. And I talked with them and they told me about their struggling, about uh, how they struggle with the security, how they are not accepted by the society and the people of the Calcilia, they call them monkeys because they keep jumping from there to here. So I got to get to know them. And they told me that we are not only do skate. And I was like, what are you doing? And they was like, come with us so i went with them they do parkour beatbox hip-hop graffiti and skateboarding they're doing graffiti and i was like what nobody's taking care of you guys nobody's helping you and they were like no so i start getting in touch with a friend and uh until i got to meet my brother from a different mother uh, his name's Adam Abel. He's American. He lives in New York. He's Jewish American. If he heard this interview, he's gonna laugh. <laughs> you have to send it to him. <laughs> so I met with Adam and I told him there is a group of kids. It's like this and that. And he was like, No, 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 no. You're joking. There is no skaters in Palestine. And I was like, No, there is a skater in Palestine. So we drove the car from my village and I arranged a meeting with the kids. When Adam met with them, the plume is mine like he was like what and we decided to help these kids so we did follow them for at least three months filming them and we did uh, a short documentary about them when we get to know them and we make a trailer because we need to give them uh, skateboards, helmets, safety equipment. We need to bring for them the things that they needed. So we get in touch with uh, lots of people around the world and we send the trailer everywhere and to the skate groups, uh, skate organization. We even get in touch with Tony Hawk Foundation. Uh, have you heard of Tony Hawk? Tony no. Hawk, one of the top skater in the world. He's American. Okay, yeah, I don't, don't know too much about skate. Yeah. You know, this is, I am just so impressed. This is heartwarming because you, you came out of a grueling experience and you took your notoriety, as it were, to help kids. I still want to know more about Skate Kill You. So how did you start it? How did you get the funding? Yeah, exactly. So when, when we start with the kids, so we start getting in touch with the world. We did this beautiful trailer and it spread through social media. And then I received a call from Dubai Film Festival from a woman who's responsible for Dubai Film Festival. Her name is Antonio. And she was like, hey, Mohammed, would you like to come to Dubai Film Festival, you and your partner, Adam, just to talk about your uh, trailer? And I was like, yeah, but we don't have funding for that. And she was like, we will pay for you. And also she told me when we talked, because we talked after that a lot, she told me, I want to introduce you also for a woman who run like an art organization. It's called Teshkil in Dubai. And this lady is called Sheikha Latifi. She's a from the royal family. Wow. And I was like, really? And she was like, yes, yes, don't worry. Like, when you come, <laughs> so we just uh, travel, me and Adam, to Dubai. Friend, friends in high places. <laughs> So we went to Dubai Film Festival. We met lots of people and I met like lots of media there, people from the BBC, from the CNN, like Al Jazeera and all of them. They heard about me while I was in the prison. So it was nice to see people that they know me and I don't know them. So I asked the lady to get me direct in touch with this organization. It's called Tashkil. And I went and I met with her, with the Sheikha Latifi, with Latifi, the lady. And I told her, my name is Muhammad. She's very busy. Quickly, quickly, 
And she was like, what do you want? And I was like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking for funding. We, this is our trailer. And she was like, yeah, I saw it last night. So what do you want from me? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I want you to support us in building ramp, wooden ramp in my country. And she was like, okay, do you have the design? And I was like, no. And she was like, okay, I will move you to the engineer. You talk with the engineer, give him the size of the land and come back tomorrow, meet with me and see the cost. So I went to the engineer. I talked with him because I have the piece of land. And the engineer told me, if you want to build it yourself, it's going to cost $35,000. And I'm like, no, I am not, I'm not a builder. I don't know how to build a skate ramp, like, uh, <laughs> uh, like a ramp. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to build a ramp. <laughs> so I went the next day and I told her this is going to cost about forty-five dollars to $50,000. And we need your help with that. And she was like, okay, give me your bank account. And I was like, hey, take it easy. Like, I'm a Palestinian. You cannot just transfer to my account $50,000. Oh, yeah. And she was like, okay, so what do you want? So she put us in touch with two American guys who uh, who building ramps around the world. One of them is Dave Duncan and Brian Bitch. Brian what? Were, yeah, Brian Batch. Bitch. Oh, Batch. It sounds like Batch. Bitch. Yeah. Yeah, no. no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm going to remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got in touch with them. They were in Dubai. We met with them and they were like, yeah, we heard about you guys. We heard about uh, the skate uh, Kilia and uh, we would love to go to Palestine. You know, we talked with them about the money transfer because skate Kilia at that time, we were not registered as a nonprofit organization in the U.S. So direct from there, Adam started working in registering skate Kilia as an American organization. Oh, okay. Yeah, we are registered as an American organization and our bank account is in the USAA bank. Okay, so so basically <laughs> the only way this could have happened logistically, I mean, she couldn't transfer money to Palestine, so... Yeah, she transferred from Dubai to America and from America, Adam came with a visa card and we start pulling up the money. But the funny thing that uh, when we built the ramp, uh, Brian and Dave Duncan, they came over and another uh, one of the top skaters, his name's Kenny Reed, they come together here and they ask me like that, if they want to build a ramp in Palestine, we have to ship a special wood from California. It's called bly wood. I don't know what's the bly wood, you know? I have no idea. I thought you meant plywood. So you mean bly with a B. Yeah, it's a special, it's only grow up in California, that kind of a tree that uh, this wood resists the heat, the oh. rain. So we decided like, okay, we're going to ship it from the United States, from California to Palestine. So I started getting in touch with the harbors in Israel with some fixer to fix it for us. And it ends up that the Israeli security called me to ask me why I'm shipping this bly wood and what's this bly wood. They never have it in Israel. And I say, like, my information about this, that it's just a wood. So they stopped us. They say, OK, we are not going to allow you to ship it. We need to figure out what this wood. It took like a two months till they find out. And we ship it from uh, California. It took like a month to reach, which is like we were delayed for three months just for the plywood. They charge us $10,000 taxes for that. Just like uh, 
custom fees uh, crossing. So we get it and we build first RAM in the Middle East. Woden wow. design, beautiful. I am uh, so impressed. Uh, you, you can find the, the photos of the RAM in our website. It's a piece piece of art, like the whole city of Calcilia, like almost 70% of the people of Calcilia, they came and they just look at it, like people just sitting and looking at it. So we start teaching the kids how to skate with the help of the international. We start to invite like skaters from all over the world and we grow, we start growing, more kids get involved, more girls, like the majority of our summer camp and uh, skating in Palestine are girls. Wow, that's so, great. Yeah, so when when the whole thing is happened, I was sitting and I was like talking with Adam. I was like, Adam, let's do like a skate summer camp. And I was like, I never heard of a skate summer camp. And I was like, <laughs> you're in a country that you can hear, hear all the weirdest thing and you can see all the weird things in the world. And I was like, okay, so we did a Kickstarter at that time. We make a budget and we ask people to donate $5, $10, $15 just to cover the cost of the uh, summer camp. And it was the first summer camp in 2017. With like 50 participants, the idea was around the summer camp is not only about skateboarding. The idea around the summer camp is to bring all those kids together, yeah, broke all the to break all the borders from like culture, social, uh, a boy cannot sit with a girl, like a male and a female, like she's from my village, he's, he's from a city, like to break all those psychological uh, problems and to put them all together. It was really hard. It was not easy to get them all and to make them feel that they are brothers and sisters. This is, this is and, so heartwarming to me. Yeah, and it was also not here. Boys see themselves because they are most of their times out in the streets. They see themselves that they are strong, they are tough, and the girls, the weak. And in our summer camp, I teach them that they all equal. Yeah, you're empowering women. This is amazing. This is you're empowering women. This is wonderful. Exactly, young, young women. Yeah. So I start uh, working with the girls, uh, working with the boys about skateboarding about the use of the social media, that the social media can be a piece of gold if you use it in the right way, and it can destroy your life if you use it in the wrong way. Oh, yeah. My last guest, we talked about her book and how this, you know, algorithms and social media and technology can be a double-edged sword, and it can really be dark, or it can, in your case, it can be used for good. And so there was like a couple of activities, like I teach them how to do gardening because I love gardening. I teach them how to plant, make their own garden, to make things green around them. Uh, we teach them photography because we get cameras, donated cameras from the Canon company. They give us like 25 camera. Uh, we teach them English courses. Wow. So this is much more than skating. That was sort of the beginning yeah. how you do everything. No, no, no. It was like we did also yoga. I do yoga, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we do meditation and breathing courses with all professionals. Nice. People comes from outside international. 
who teach our kids this and then our kids take the lead for the next summer camp in 2018 and the kids and the girls start teaching the boys and we start with 50 then we start with 70 then with 100 and uh, we co- I continue to other villages I went to other villages I went to other cities with the time I start thinking I want to build like uh, something solid not wooden because the wood one need lots of repair lots of fixed yeah. And I come with the idea of building a skate park. Yeah, a skate park. Yeah, we have those here. They're expensive, but they're they're wonderful. Yeah. So Adam told me, like, I know you're crazy, and this is a crazy idea. Like, <laughs> building a skate park, we need a big, big, big piece of land. And I was like, it's the land is exist, and we have it. So we went, me and Adam, to the municipality in my village, and I talked with the mayor, and I was like, hey, I want to build a skate park, and I want, like, at least 500 meters square, the land behind the municipality. And the mayor was like, okay, you're welcome. And Adam was like, what? That's it. It's a city land, but the, the city won't fund us with any cent, like zero. So I told them, okay, I will uh, work in the contract tonight and I will come up uh, tomorrow and we can sign the contract. So we signed the contract and we got the land. Then we make the land flat. Uh, we start getting in touch with caterers and Kate Stan, if you ever heard of them. So I gather five, six organization whose only skate organization from around the world. And I told them about the idea and they were like, we're happy to do that and help. So we did a campaign. Wow, you have so many skills, networking, marketing, uh, yeah. raising money. Yeah. So we did a campaign, GoFundMe. And we collect about $85,000 in two months. Wonderful. And we built a skate park in my village in GUs, 450 meters square. Nice. We have about 35 international who spent three and a half, two and a half months in my village working 24-7 to build the skate park. And they were staying in my house. Like <laughs> the people from the village were cooking for them. We did the opening of the skate park and we did first summer camp in 2018. So we get to have like 100 kids to be in our summer camp. We have like about 35 volunteers, girls. All the volunteers and the trainer was girls, no boys. Wow, that's great. Yeah, all the interviews in our uh, videos in the website, it's all women, it's all girls. So we empower the women. Then after that, I start thinking, okay, we want to continue this. I need to register Palestine in the Olympic. So I start networking and talking with the people from the Olympic, told them, and they were like, oh, well, but we don't know, you don't have skaters. And so I, st- I sent them like the trailer, I sent them the photos and the design of our skate park and they don't believe that this skate park is existing in Palestine <laughs> or in a small village they were like okay so you have to register you have to pay the fee so we managed the fee and we registered Palestine and we sent two girls to Singapore and two boys to participate in the Olympic and that was two weeks before the whole thing that happened in the world the pandemic the COVID-19 oh, so okay. It was the first time for Palestine to participate and be part of the Olympic skate in the history of Palestine. Wow, this is this is a lot of prominence here. I'm I'm impressed. Yeah. 
so then after that okay i don't want the pandemic started so i don't want the kids just to be you know how it started to be like putting the mask and uh, distance and uh You cannot teach the kids if you don't hold their hands, if you don't talk with them, if you don't whisper in their ears to encourage them and to make them feel safe. So I decided like, okay, I want to go to the Ministry of Education. So I went to the Ministry of Education in Palestine and we have a court class once a week in every school in Palestine. And I told them uh, why we don't talk about skateboarding and get skateboarding to be part of the sport class. And they were like, we don't know what's skateboarding. So I have my laptop, I opened my laptop and I showed them and I told them everything you need, helmets, safety equipment, skateboards, I provide it. I'll bring teachers. So they agree. And we got the signature from the uh, minister of sport. And he was like, fine with that, with the minister of agriculture, uh, with the minister of education. And he allowed us to go and to enter for free to every school we need. So we went after that from my village to another 10 villages and three cities. And so, so skateboarding during COVID is perfect because you're outside, can keep a distance. I know my socialization was biking where I kept yeah. 10, 12 feet from people. So you were able to keep it going during COVID? With- during COVID and until now, is it still exists in the school. The school themselves, like the, the kids, the students, they teaching the other students and it's continuing. Your now- organization is a lot more vast than I had thought. This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so then, like, I continue uh, working in different stuff, which is I want the kids to lead the whole movement of skateboarding. I want them to be the one who talk with the media. Like, we get, like, lots of attention. Like, today I received an email from somebody make in the BBC. They make a short documentary about us. He, he got in touch with me today. He sent me an email. Will you please, Muhammad, direct me or help me if I can come back to Palestine and do another story about youth movement in Palestine. So I told him, like, I'm still dealing with the skateboarding if he's interested. And immediately he answered, he was like, yeah, I would love to come and do something uh, after the pandemic. So I think next month he's going to come from the U.S. to do like 10 to 15 minutes documentary about skateboarding in Palestine. And you'll have the kids do it so they'll they'll be student journalists. Yeah, yeah, but now... I'm doing some funding, online funding for the people to donate. Whenever I receive money from governments, whenever I receive money from uh, organization, everything is coming from the people. When people watch our trailer themselves, I there is a guy, his name's David Yalovich from the Silicon Valley. I don't know if I can mention his name, but whatever, because fine he's with fine. Me. <laughs> yeah, he's fine also with them in the bus because we talked about him. He's, he never met with me, never met with Adam, he never, he just got in touch with us, he just gave us a call, hey guys, I just want to donate for you for the next three years, that was before, $10,000 every month. Logistically, how does this donation work? Does it go to a uh, U.S. nonprofit or does it go to, to... Yeah, it goes to U.S. nonprofit. They can find the website where there's a button called Donate and it will go to, to our bank account in the U.S. So they can actually get they can get a form and deduct it from... We did pocket. this. 
David, the second year, he asked us for, for a letter, and we gave him a letter that he were donating for us. A guy from California, he's a Palestinian-American, he's running a surf shop. He, he sent uh, to us a couple of hundreds of skateboards. 90% of our funding comes from the United States. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. So that's how is our funding come, because it's not conditioned. Like, if I want to take money from the government, they want to force me to teach these kids something that they wanted. And the whole idea behind the Skekilia is very simple. I want those kids to grow up with freedom. I don't want anyone to tell them what to do. I want them to do what they feel without harming themselves. I don't want them to end up in a prison. I don't want them to be part of any political party. I don't want them to be part of any violence that will harm them and harm their future. Well, Muhammad, we need more of this in the world. So they're able to, you know, sort of direct their energy instead of politics or something that might bring harm to them or their families into this positive, you know, organization. And they can use all kinds of skills. They can learn how to interview people, how to raise money, how to mark. I mean, this is just great. This is wonderful. I'm just, you can tell I'm enthusiastic about it. We are a group of people who just care about the kids, who just care about like a clean environment to better future for those kids. You know, some of our kids who's not kids anymore, they graduated from the school. Like uh, one of, like two of them, they were graduated like as a pharmacist, as an engineer, and they still skateboarding, still like helping and uh, participating in the activities. And the good thing about, you know, these donations from the United States is people can donate regardless of their views about all this political chaos. They just want to help children. So I imagine you get them from a variety of states, a variety of people. And that's... that's... And they can see, if they follow us, they can see where their money is going. Like, I'm, I'm going to do, like, a, a summer camp. We don't do a summer camp since 2020, the, since the pandemic. And this year is going to be the first summer camp in 2023 and uh, um, I start looking for funding and I want to apply for some skate organization for uh, funding to get funding for the skate park uh, for the summer camp. People can watch us live in the summer camp every day so they can see where their money going. When we say, well, we want to buy water, we go, we buy water for the kids. That's so nice. Yeah, I mean, and when they give money, they know it directly goes to the children, whatever. And there isn't this administrative overhead that a lot of charities in the United States, you have to look at how much of it goes to overhead and salaries and things like that. Well, and I think people in the West, you know, the news out of your area, out of Gaza, out of Israel is not good. A lot of us are like, what can we do? Well, this is definitely something positive that sort of gets around the the politics of everything. Can you talk a little bit about the conflict in Gaza? I know you're a little bit, I don't you can remind me how far you are from Gaza and, and conflict may not be strong enough a word, but just what your perceptions of what's going on are. First of all, the, there is a conflict inside the conflict. There is a division between the Palestinian political party, between the two big parties, which is like Fatah and Hamas. And people like me, kids, like my kids, their voices are not heard because of this conflict or this division. Everyone in the world, when it comes to Palestine and the Israeli-Palestinian-Israeli question, it goes to direct 
that these are Muslim and these are Jewish people and the conflict, these want to kill them and this one want to kill. It's not like that. It's it's not about killing. It's just about free and feeling freedom and being safe. I got married in 2020. Let me just share this with you. I got, I got my, my twin's daughter and they call Maria and Ariano. I never, I never thought I was taking, I, pro, I was taking promise that I would never marry and have kids and my kids will grow up under the incubation because I born under the incubation. My father born under the incubation. We're the only people in Palestine are living under the incubation, like in the world. The world is, everybody is free. Like I'm not safe to go now. It's dark. I cannot go to the next city which is far away from me, 30 minutes driving. Oh my God. It's not safe for me to go. And I was thinking like when I got married, it took me a year, me and my wife, just discussing the idea of having babies. Why? Because I don't want them to end up in the prison. I don't want them to end up injured. I don't want them to end up somewhere that I cannot be there for them. So we are nine months now, and I still I still worried about them. Like I was thinking, I still like sometimes I get really strong headache. Like uh, the are nine months uh, September they're gonna be one year mm. old, and then they're gonna be two years. ZD growing up in front of me, and I don't know what to do, uh, how to protect them, how to make their life safe, how to make for them like uh, the right of movement, the right of traveling, the right of education, the right of life, the right of living, all this, like, I don't know how to make it for them, even though I have another hundred kids, which is like all the kids in the, in the right. whole organization. They're lucky to have so, you. Yeah, I was thinking, and I always think I can do that. So we did it, and we have the two, I have my twins, and they are beautiful, and the change my life and they make me stronger and stronger every time i look at them i will fight for them and i will make the world better for them and that's that's, yeah that's what they need and they're lucky to have you thank you so when it comes to the conflict gaza and israel it's about power it's about money it's about business like when israel is bombing every time that they hit gaza with a rocket is a half million dollar cost them they hit them like every time between 15 20 or 30 billions and billions of dollars they have a conflict with hamas hamas is like uh, strong hamas is the one who's taking over and controlling gaza and the people were voting for hamas in gaza and hamas win the election and in front of the eye of the international observers they want to teach us democracy but they want us to practice the new democracy that they created it for us if you want democracy the people in palestine or the people in gaza not all of them hamas hamas is a small percentage percentage in gaza but the people from the west bank and gaza are tired from the palestinian authority are tired from the corruption inside the palestinian authority are tired from the money that they steal it. These commanders, they came when they come to Palestine, they come with the President Arafat, they were poor people. Now their kids is living and studying in New York University. They having villas, they have like the most fancy cars in Palestine. They have like free access, they can flew through Bingerion Airport. They, they have a VIP passes wherever they go. So it's all, it's all about money, it's all about empowerment, it's all about like who's gonna 
be strong. And the people who's going and suffering from the holding the poor people, us, the kids, the children, the women, the old people, the young people who's suffering from all that. Living side by side by Israel. I don't mind living next to the Israelis. I don't mind that the Israelis exist. I accept the idea of Israel, the state of Israel. Let's talk, let's live together. It's always any peace initiative coming is always coming from the US or from international. Why they don't ask us what kind of peace initiative we want? Why is always they want like two-state solution? What the two-state solution? What? Uh, why you decided for me two-state solution? I don't want to live in two states. I want to live in one secular state solution. I want to live side by side by them and that's it and share the land, share the air, share the water, share everything together. What do you want, Mohammed? You, you said you don't want a two-state solution, which I'm going to talk about on the next podcast. I'm going to have an Israeli on. We're going to talk about that. But can you just clarify what you want and what I guess what most? Yeah, of I people... want. To, I, I'm honest. I am running a movement in the West Bank. Young people and people who's in my age and people who's older than me. We believe. We believe, and we are asking the world and we are asking the American government when they decide to talk about peace or they want to make to make peace between Palestinians and Israelis. Don't ask politician. Come into the street. You have teams. You have people working in the Israel in, in the American embassy. In in Jerusalem, bring them to the streets. Let them talk with the students at university. People want to live. People want to live side by side. People want to live like in one secular state solution. That's the only solution. I don't want Oslo agreement. I don't want whatever Billy Clinton, his names or Obama to decide for me or to design for me what kind of life I should live in my own country or what I should eat in my house. No, I want to eat and I want to live and I want to move and I want to go and I want to travel and I want because I want, not because they want. And when the Western press focuses on this sort of myopic focus on the PLO, the PLO, you're saying, doesn't represent you. So are there leaders that represent your points of view on what you want? We're just voices. We, are, we don't have leaders because we are tired of leaders. We don't want leaders. The world doesn't need leaders anymore. The world needs activists. The world needs people to talk and to be a fighter for their idea. We are fighting for this idea. There's lots of Israeli will accept the idea of one secular state solution. We've been trying, like since 19, since 1993, when they signed Oslo agreement, I was like 18 years old, and they told us after nine years, the Palestinian will have their own independent state. Where is our state? Well, I'm learning a lot from you because I always thought that, I mean, if somebody asked me, I would say, I support a two-state solution, but now I'm open-minded. I have no idea what the best solution is because you're there. I'm not. And, you know, I guess that I'm just trying to figure out the distinction between this two-state solution and what you want because you want an independent state, right? Yeah. Equal voices, equal like rights, equal votes, equal like well, same parliament, the same uh, like uh, uh, security, army, police, all together. How is that different from how is that different from two state? And I maybe sound ignorant here, but how is that two different? Sta two states, we tried it already, man. Two states, like they were supposed to give us, like uh, they signed Oslo agreement in 1993, and they said that eight years after that, the Palestinian will have their own independent state with their own borders in the borders of 1967, and this and this and this, and they give us first Jericho, then they give us uh, Ramallah, then they give us Nablus. It's they give us pieces which is like called area A, area B. Area C. They cut the West Bank into different areas. 
and their area A, which is fully under the control of the Palestinian Authority, which is the main city, Kalkilia, Turkarem, Ramallah, Jerusalem, out of negotiation. Imagine, imagine, like I'm 43 years old. I've been like three times in my life in Jerusalem. I cannot enter to Jerusalem. I cannot go to Jerusalem. I need a special permit to go to Jerusalem, to the city that every Palestinian talk about it. It's not about the holy part of it. It's just the city, like it's Jerusalem. As a Jewish person who never been in uh, in Palestine, and he decided to travel from Brooklyn, take the plane to Tel Aviv, from Tel Aviv to go to the Wailing Wall, and he can be free over there. But I am the one. I'm the indigenous. I'm the person who lived and born and raised up in this country. I cannot access to the city of Jerusalem. That's not fair. I think a lot of people in the West, we just don't know. I mean, we hear things through various media outlets and politicians, and we really just don't know what's going on. And that's why I want to have you on. I want to have different voices. You know, I want to say something. When we are at the skate park, my village mm -hmm. is high. Like when we look at Tel Aviv, we look at Tel Aviv down there. Mm -hmm. Sunset time, the horizon and the reflection of the ocean, of the Mediterranean, we will see it from my village, from my roof. 95%, and this is like documented, 95% of the Palestine generation of people, they never seen the sea in their life. They never touch the water. They never get close to the sea. That's we so don't know how to swim, even though... My village is far, like 20 miles or 15 miles away from the sea. Why we don't share this together? Why we don't share the sea? Why we don't share the ocean, the beach? As there are religion in my country, there are religion in Israel. As there are conservative religion in my side, there are conservative religion in Israel. There are people in Israel want to kill Palestinian, and there, there are Palestinian want to kill Israeli. But we need to get rid of all those people. <laughs> Our voices and activists and uh, and the people who believe in right, because those, those people don't represent the majority. If I'm hearing you correct, right? Most of you just don't want anything to do with politics. You want to have freedom. I don't want to be a millionaire. I don't want to have like the fancy car. I'm happy with my donkey. I have a donkey. <laughs> I have a donkey car. I'm happy with it. I don't need to fill it. To, Is to, your donkey? I don't. I don't want to pollute the the nature. Uh, I don't want to be rich. I just want to stay the way I am and just to feel free and does, safe in my house. Does your donkey have a name? No, that's the problem. I cannot name it. We if I want to name it, I want name it in the name of some people that I hate. And I don't want to... Oh, don't do that. No, I, no. We, need to, we need to come up with a name for your donkey. That's that's the, the conflict in Gaza. And both is like... Uh, I don't want to go into the details of the details of that. and. Uh, that Hamas is Hamas is like kidnapping or uh, Hamas is like the kidnapping Israeli soldiers. The same as Israel is arresting hundreds and thousands of prisoners from Gaza and they brought them in the Israeli jail. And uh, the whole thing is like like a wave back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is not going to end if that's going to continue. If the world doesn't hear our voices and they just come in the land and ask the people, Ask my father, ask me, ask the people in my village, ask the people in Ramallah and in, in, in all over Palestine, what do you think the best solution for you, for your country? They will tell you. Billy Clinton or Obama or uh, President Biden, they don't know. They never been here. They never. And if they come here, they don't see what I see. 
because they will go through like a special bath in the roads and they won't see checkpoints and they won't see suffering. I think the last U.S. president, maybe the only one was President Jimmy Carter, who... Jimmy Carter, I did a tour for him because also I do political tour. I have a website, it's called Muhammad Uthman Political Tour. I did a, a political <laughs> when tour you, for... When do you sleep? I don't. Uh, the President Carter went there to your area, right? Your community? Yeah, when he wrote his book. And uh, I did a tour for him for five hours. I spent five hours with him. He came to Ramallah and I did a tour for him around Jerusalem and uh -huh. uh, Ramallah. And I show him the wall, the concrete wall, that high nine meters that Israel built it. And he was totally shocked. He was like, I never seen this in my life. Wow. Yeah. The more I hear about... President Carter, the, the higher esteem I hold him in. I, I mean, I already hold him in very high esteem. Um, we're about running out of time, and I do appreciate your voice, and I do appreciate the positive things you're doing, and the, the breadth and vastness of what you're doing is a lot more than what I thought. And so is there? I'd like to try to end on a positive note. Is there anything positive that you want to end on? Oh, uh, the best thing is like my daughter's, it's the best thing happened in my life. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing, which is they are crying right <laughs> now. I, I don't know if you can hear them. No, but so you do all of this for them. Yeah, I'm doing this for them and for every child in Palestine and in Israel and in both sides. And for every child in this world, those moments. So I hope that we will remember this and uh, there will be peace and justice for everybody. And uh, thank you so much for uh, for having me. I hope it was uh, useful and people will like it. Whatever comments, uh, people is going to comment. Well, Please I tell you, this exceeded my expectations for a podcast. And I hope my I'm sure my listeners will appreciate it. And I just want you to know, Muhammad, you're welcome back on the show in the future with updates. You're doing a lot of good that we need more good news. So I appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you so much for taking time. And I wish you the best in your endeavors. Thank you. Thank you, man. The same. Wish you all the best. And uh, thank you. If you direct the people to our website, it will be great. I will. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. As always on Politics Considered, the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily those of the host or the show. On the next podcast, I will interview an Israeli from Israel to glean his perspectives. We welcome your feedback. Please follow the show on Twitter at PoliticsCons. That wraps up this podcast. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others. <laughs>